This is Real Estate Team Builders, and I'm your host, Lars Hedenborg, the founder of Real Estate B-School. The real estate team building world is driven by big egos who boast about how many homes they've sold or how much GCI they've earned. We don't hear much about their low profit margins, the long hours they put in each week, or the unbearable stress they endure. In fact, I've discovered that most real estate teams are losing money when you consider the amount of personal production their owners must do to make ends meet. I believe that if you want to profitably scale your real estate team without working crazy hours, enduring unhealthy levels of stress, or coming up short at home, then thinking like a business owner, building sustainable systems, and empowering your team are absolute musts. You won't find any smoke and mirrors or hype here on my podcast, just the real world tools, systems, and strategies that work. So if you struggle to balance growing your real estate business with focusing on the areas of life that truly matter, then this show is for you. Welcome back, real estate team builders. Uh, welcome to another episode. This is going to be a good one. A, a little bit of a, a change of uh, gears here, um, but it, it's going to make sense as I unpack it. I've got Tom Tusian uh, on uh, today. Really good uh, friend of mine, uh, Tom. We probably met. Over 10 years ago, I would say, uh, back in the real estate team. So, Tom, yeah. uh, at the time, I think you were just starting your sort of mortgage team, uh, I would say, or I don't know if you had opened Fairway, uh, the Fairway branch yet. But, Tom, he, here's the punchline to the story is that Tom, you know, left a corporate job, right? Flying commercial jets for a living and, uh, and got into, uh, to peddling loans, right? So, we pedal houses, Tom peddled loans. And uh, went from you know no no loan volume in 2003. I think you got into industry to 540 million last year with uh, a lot of freedom, uh, uh, super high culture team, and a group that that absolutely loves you. I got the pleasure to go to your retirement party. I say quote unquote because I can't I can't envision you just sitting on your butt. Um, um, and he's a brother of mine in Christ, which is uh, which is also awesome. And he challenges me in many, many ways. And Tom, so so unpack a little bit when you look back on the journey, you know, because every real estate agent knows loan officers and they're grinding, they're working, they're doing the, you know, the prequals while, you know, buyers agents are, are going out on weekends and evenings. And it's all insanity on both sides of the world. But let's let's talk about the the major sort of building block or mindsets around this pivot that that you were able to make into true freedom in your business in an industry that doesn't have a lot of freedom, which is the mortgage industry. Yeah, so that's good. So I'll just ask any any listeners from the real estate world, don't tune, tune me out. You know, you might hear like, oh, it's a mortgage guy. He's going to ask for a referral. I'm not because as Lars mentioned recently, I just retired from the uh, from the mortgage industry. So not asking for any referrals. Not gonna, uh, not gonna pay for your Zillow leads, <laughs> and uh, we can we can learn from each other, you know. So my my grandfather, my dad, three of my uncles also in real estate. So we go back our, our our real estate history and our mortgage history and our family goes back to 1922. So it's actually the anniversary of that, which is uh, which is kind of cool. But uh, yeah, 2003 got a job as a loan officer. I got uh, I got zero training. You know, a guy I brought my own laptop, and the guy said, "Go find somebody that needs to borrow money," and it. A couple of years later, I counted that up as eight word training program. And um, so went from there. And uh, fortunately, 2003, the, uh, the rates had dropped. So I got a quick start. And four months later, rates popped up. And I was 
found out that I was uh, had just closed my last loan on that Friday afternoon. I was laying a in a tent at night with my family, and the kids were all asleep. My wife was asleep, and I laid there at, laid there in bed at night. And I woke up and I was like, "Man, I'm out of business." I, I was focusing on refis. The market changed. Refis went away, and I've got I had nothing in my pipeline. Uh, you know, going from from hero to from zero to hero to zero in five months. You know, it was a great uh, great career success to start out with there. So. Jump forward, did, did okay in the loan business, though, figured out, found some, knew I needed not just one stream. I couldn't just do, you know, my Air Force buddies, VA refinances anymore. So I found some other streams of income, you know, and what I mean by that is other sources of, of stuff. So uh, partnering with real estate agents, working the, uh, the neighborhood, the sphere of influence, friends, networking group. And then in 2007, uh, struck out on my own and started my own company. The day I got my broker's license, two of the top five wholesale lenders in the country went out of business because that was the peak of the mortgage crisis. I went through that for a year, and then a year later in 2008, I joined a national firm as a as a branch manager and a producing branch manager, and uh, in and we're in Charlotte, North Carolina, and then was with that group for 14 years and transitioned from a producing branch manager. The first step was to get out of personal production, so brought in a production partner that helped me out with that, and then uh, you know along with that got really specific. Probably the granddaddy of them all is, uh, you know, in terms of business building books is the E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. And uh, Lars, I'm sure you've mentioned that before. I know you and I have talked about that book many times, but trying to build a franchise business and what that is, is basically a replicatable business. You do the same thing every time, you know, you're referable, right? You've met those standards and you can be referred to customers, tell their friends about you, the real estate agent, tell their next client about you, you're referable. That's kind of the career path. And then you know, what happened just recently was I got to a place where my, I built my team up. They were looking for more opportunities, greater things. Um, I was looking for other opportunities, and I decided to uh, basically to retire from the industry uh, a couple of years ahead of schedule. So we can we can dig more into that. So within the past month or so, I've had a, a whole lot more free time because I'm not doing the day to day in the, uh, in the mortgage industry anymore. So, so let's go let's go back to, um, you know, the the mindset uh, that, that, that you embodied, you know, knowing that, uh, it was a seven day a week job and you wanted freedom that, that a typical sort of mortgage officer didn't have. And then let's talk about goals and, and how you've seen, you know, some loan, well, even for yourself back in the early days, what was, what was different about your approach to this business that led you to, and it didn't take until just recently for you to have freedom. And I mean, you've sort of been sort of, getting out of different parts of the job ever since I've known you, you know, so talk about mindset, you know, vision and and goals and, and all of that. Yeah. So my, if I was going to do a workshop on goal setting, it's, it's really pretty simple. So that, you know, everybody, the first level is the level zero is everybody has goals. Uh, level zero is you don't know you have them. And so what that means is somebody else set goals for you or the guy who founded your real estate company, you know, has goals for you. Your manager has goals for you. Your spouse has goals for you. That's kind of level zero. So level one is, you know, all right, well, I'm going to set my own goals. And now you're working to accomplish your own goals. And that is, uh, that's good, right? Because now I don't care what Ray Kroc is saying. I care about what I say. And maybe I move up to be an assistant manager. Or I get my own franchise. Right? Um, the problem with level one goals is that you, you, you don't look at them and say, okay, well, at the end of my life, looking backwards, you know, is this going to be a meaningful goal? So I accomplished my goal, but who cares? And for me, the the number one le uh, level one goal is 
people saying, I'm going to be the top producer in my marketplace, or I'm going to be the number one producer at my company, the number one loan officer on the rank. And, and they can spend their whole month, year, career so that when the spreadsheet gets posted, um, you know, their name's at the top. You know? And uh, you look back at the end of your career and you look at everything they accomplished and you, know, you go, ah, guess what? Meaningless. Where you want to be is like, okay, now I'm working for my goals, but I can also look back on them and they're meaningful. You know, so it's, it really led to significance where I impacted other people's lives. It impacted my, my marriage the way I wanted to. I was consistent with my faith. I raised my kids in such a way that I still have a relationship with them. I'm proud of them. And they, they learned the key lessons that I needed to teach them as a, as a father. Um, so those are your, those are your, your kind of level two goals, right? And um, I actually won the award one year as the largest branch at our company. Um, it was kind of funny. I finished the end of the year as number three. Uh, during the next five months, the top two branches left. And so we get to the awards banquet and I get up on stage as the number one branch in the company. So not the best way to win it, but I still won it. <laughs> and there was a, uh, yeah, there were people who set goals that night saying, I'm going to be the number one branch in the company, or I'm going to do a billion dollars in volume or things like that. And what I decided, my goal was, is I'm going to build a team that allows me to reach my financial goals without needing me to be there. And so I didn't really care how, how I, I compete against other people. I competed against myself. I didn't care who was number one, uh, which is, which is hard to do, right? You see your name on a scorecard. You always, you never want it to be number, number three. And if you're number two, you don't, you're watching out for number three and you want to be number one, right? So uh, hard to do, but I, I really forced myself not to focus on where I was compared to others. It's where, I, where, I, where am I? Where's my team compared to where we were and, and where do we need to go? And um, so my goal was to build a, build a, build a team that allowed me to meet my financial goals, but didn't need me to be there. And so, you know, I did have a, probably a lot more time off than many people did. Uh, there are many weekends I'd come back to uh, come back on a Monday morning and I missed the entire conversation because that weekend I was, you know, camping with my sons or out flying an airplane or, you know, sitting on the dock doing something right. But not reading emails. That was important to me. And then, um, and then what I found with that is, you know, extending that goal beyond myself was really, Hey, can I create opportunities for other people to achieve their financial goals and their career goals? Because, because I get out of the way. Right. So instead of just me hanging on as the as the old man branch manager forever, um, you know, I've run into a lot of people that are like, I'm never going to retire. I'm going to do this till I'm 90. And uh, I'm like, man, nobody wants to work for me when I'm 90. You know, some old man with an oxygen hose in or something. You know what I'm saying? So I thought it better to create opportunities for others. And that's where we got to a place where I'm looking at looking at my leadership team saying, hey, you guys don't need me around here. So. Let's let's step this thing up. Let's free up my time even further to go do something else. And let's give you guys the the position, the title, and the financial rewards that come with with running a branch. And so stepped out, stepped out early, which is really, you know, kind of the uh the ultimate myth there, the entrepreneur's myth that you don't need to be at the at the office every day. Yeah. So let let, let you know, having just spent time with uh with the 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 team, you know, four or five of them, I think. I think they all shed tears. I know I shed a couple of tears uh, sort of speaking about you at your re retirement party. Um, but let's let's dig in a little bit into to team development because you didn't necessarily, you know, you came out of uh, the Air Force, right? Yeah. Yep. So Air Force to then find uh, commercial jets 
to then, you know, doing loans and then sort of having this vision to build a company, but you didn't necessarily come into the mortgage industry with a bunch of business building experience, right? No. I, I believe as you do that 80% of success is anything comes down to, to the mindset and the psychology, which we just spoke about and the e-myth and, you know, beginning with the end of mind and the franchise prototype. Um, but let's talk about like two or three things that you learned or failed or pushed through in terms of team development uh, that, you know, it's like 85% of real estate agents and probably loan officers, maybe less so with loan officers, but 85% of real estate agents don't even have a single administrator. Over 80% of what a real estate agent does is, is, is administrative in nature. So let's talk a little bit about like the first couple hires, you know, getting that, you know, sort of quote unquote business partner to take some of the production off you. What, what did you learn? How did you lean into the sort of uncomfortable parts of uh, building a team? Um, you know, delegation. And that's where I've seen so many people struggle with is like, well, I can't let my assistant do this or I can't let anybody else do this because I do it better. And, and being able to, uh, you know, mindset wise, be able to overcome. It's like, you know what? If somebody does it 80% as good as me, but they can do it all day long, that's a lot better. You know, if they spend eight hours doing something 80% as good as I do, and I'm 100% on it, but I can only do it an hour a day, 80% times eight hours is a lot better than 100% times one hour, you know? So um, one of the tools, you know, one of the things that helped out a lot with delegation is just getting really clear on the finished product, the expectation. And what is, what does this look like? So when I'm when we're finished with this, you know, what do all what do all the people feel like? What do they see? And and writing that stuff down and setting expectations. I, I remember a first one, you know, an early one for me was, you know, we had an issue with copiers because there's tons of paperwork in the in the mortgage industry. And you need a, you know, do you need a printer only? Do you need a copier only? Do you need a print fax scan copy? You know, and um, you know, first hired my assistant, I go, I don't want to deal with the copier man anymore you know, which is a terrible way to delegate. So what I said was like, hey, when I am at my computer, I need to be able to hit print and paper comes out, I want it to be white, not pink. And I want the ink to be black, not colored, you know, so my computer needs to be set up to default. And I just gave her enough vision of what the end picture looks like. She was able to run with that. And I've never talked to a copier salesman. I haven't talked to a copier salesman since I hired an assistant, which is awesome. You know, that's, you know, if you're a copier salesman, sorry, but I don't want to talk to you. You know, I'm not trying to offend you or anything like that, but that's not my, not my gig. That was, that was a delegation thing. And, um, but the, with the, the leverage on that delegation that people don't realize is with is it, it took me longer to explain what I wanted the print outcome to look like. But once I described it once and we put it in writing, we never had to talk about it again. So should we be buying our paper from Dunder Mifflin or from Staples or, you know, where, you know, all those things. So just do it once, set really clear expectations. And then, you know, you don't have to do it again. Um, you know, for the, for the delegation. So kind of bringing the, bring it, recognizing the benefit of the leverage of doing that, you know, is huge. Yeah. And, and, and the default, like you said, is like, it's, it's just a copier. Like I know how to change the cartridge, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's only every, every, every other year, or, you know, the copy maintenance guy only comes, you know, also often I can, you know, the, the, the default is that you can do all those things, but there are likely several hundred things that you've delegated, you know, ultimately for you to be able to gracefully exit a business and, and, you know, and have your leadership team take over in, in the ultimate exit, which is, which is retirement, everything, thousands of things, like every day, thousands of things happen. Cause you have how many LOs all over the place. So 
it starts with the mindset because you can totally screw yourself from the beginning, just saying the that property's on the way home. I can drop off the brochures on the way, or I can, you know, I can just grab the lockbox. It'll only take a few minutes to get a lockbox. I'll grab lunch while I'm out. And you do two or three of those things in a day. And, you know, it's it's two to three hours and, and that's all of your new business development time. So anything more that you can sort of, this this is the point, this is the e-myth. If you ever wanna have freedom from your business, what else can you can you tell us about this core process of just doing less in the business, getting more freedom, making more money, having more of an impact? Yeah, so, you know, for, forcing yourself to have free time. Zig Ziglar used to talk about Speaking of guys that worked in their 80s, and I'm so glad he did because the guy was amazing. But, um, you know, Zig Ziglar talked about the day before vacation and just how productive we are. And when you force yourself to have time off, you, you force yourself to get very productive. You force yourself to be okay with delegating. You know, so you're like, hey, I'm going to be out for a week. Um, one of the best trips I had, I went out with, uh, I went out 20, 2014, I think it was, but in the springtime, I went out with six other guys all in the mortgage industry would go climb Mount Whitney in California. So we were off the grid for five days and um, came back and we're driving down this twisty mountain out of the, out of the Sierra Nevadas. And uh, we got to the first cell phone tower that could ping our phones and everybody's phone blew up as you might imagine, because they'd been out of service. We had been those service for five days. And um, so just like everybody else, including the guy driving the car, unfortunately, we all look at our emails and, uh, and after about 30 seconds, I go, huh, I only got five emails. And everybody in the car looked at me like they wanted to throw me over the next cliff, you know, because they had literally, it was just pinging and alerts and all this stuff happening, you know. And so, you know, knowing that I was going to be off the grid, it forced me to develop a system saying, hey, you can read my emails first. You can forward them to the right person. You can reply to them or you can tell them that I'll be back in five days. And um, it turns out there's a whole lot of stuff that people on my team were better at doing anyways. And so... That was a uh, was a watershed moment for me there. Just, you know, if you force those days off, Dan Sullivan talks about free days, you know, but if you put those free days in your calendar and you force yourself to have time off, it, it really helps focus you. Like, I, I don't have time to go, you know, go out and pick up lunch and drop off a lockbox, right? I don't have time to run these papers over to somebody's house or maybe I don't have time to go to the closing. The money's there and the paper's, work, paper's there. So I don't need to go to the closing for an hour and a half. You know, like the important stuff's there. Like, they don't need a pretty face like me at the closing table is already enough, enough people in the office in the, in the room there. They, they need the money and they need the paperwork to sign. So the keys can slide across the table if you're in a, a live closing state like we are, you know? And so, um, yeah, that, that free time builds, builds on itself. You know, it forces you to, to, yeah. to get productive. Right. That that's really good. I want to, I want to cover one more thing and and then I think we'll probably wrap it up. So, how about like the, the the really dollar productive activities? So, you know, as a real estate agent, it, you could probably figure out that, you know, running a yard sign, picking up a lockbox, you know, basically running business errands and justifying that, you know, it's not a big deal. Um, it's all, we, we live in a major metro market where we can run an ad for nine to $10 an hour. We get a hundred responses for a courier. They don't, most of them won't take drug tests. So you got to sift through them. Um, but but you're doing the $10 an hour work all the time. But let's let's get into like, I'm trying to think in, in the loan world, like when you were trying to exit bigger parts of the business, um, like the dollar productive stuff, was it more um, 
Tell, tell us about that. Agents think that even showing homes is like, who else would show the home? You know, it's, it's the most important yeah. thing and it's not the most important thing, but give us a little bit more on like, how do you get out of even more sort of quote unquote important things? Yeah, no. So the corollary in the lending world is you'll talk to people who've been in the industry forever and they're like, I will never give up my loan officer license and I will never stop doing loans. Cause if I can always do loans, I can always make a living. And, um, it's like, yeah, but if you're always doing loans, you're not doing the next thing. And I remember I was at a, it was pretty impactful event, but Darren Hardy, who was the former publisher of Success Magazine, I think he's former, haven't read it in a couple of years, but he taught, he, he was talking to us and he said, he said, if you look at highly successful people and he's interviewed hundreds of them, he said, they'll, they'll only do three things and they'll, they'll work it down. But he says, if you look at the very top of it, they'll only do one thing. And so what are you, you know, the best in your team company, best in the world at Dan Sullivan calls it unique ability, Darren Hardy, you know, there's the, the one thing is another book that's out there, you know, but that's, what is the one thing that I do for my team better than anybody else? And for me, you know, giving up doing loans was really radical because everybody in the mortgage industry does loans up to the highest levels in the, in the industry. You know, they just never stopped doing loans and, and giving up loan, giving up doing loans freed up a ton of my time. And I, I boiled it down to like, all I should be doing is talking to loan officers that either work with me already or should come work with me, which is recruiting and retaining loan officers, right? So coaching loan officers, helping them, helping their jobs be easier or bringing them onto the team to help the team grow. And if all I do is talk to loan officers, you know, that, that, and that eliminates the ability for me to do a loan. It eliminates the ability of me to talk to the copier man, to order office supplies, to go to a closing all those things. And I could spend my time just focused on the highest, you know, dollar producing activities. And then, um, and then when I was able to delegate that to where my business partner became the better coach, she actually was better at me at coaching and recruiting. That's when I'm like, Hey, it's time for me to go. You know, you don't need me anymore. Cause that was the one thing I was able to do better than anybody else. And now we've worked together long enough. You, you, you get my vision, you get my values, my culture, you're buying into it. You're, you're, you refine them to match yourself and you're better at it than I am. So Awesome. So let's let's end with this. So we mentioned uh, Emith Revisited. Um, what are a, another couple really good resources, books that are like indispensable if you want to make the pivot from like hardcore number one? I want to be number one producer to more of this business owner journey and and mindset. What's what's two more good books that you'd recommend? You know anything by Robert Kiyosaki, but it started out with Rich Dad Poor Dad. That was one of the first books I read. Robert Kiyosaki and E-Myth is they're not how to do books or how to think books. And it took me a number of years to realize what, what Robert Kiyosaki was saying and thinking. And um, I'm sorry, I, I said Think and Grow Rich. I meant Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, think and Grow Rich is another one out there too. Napoleon Hill is one that you, you've got to read. But um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad is be really good at your job so you generate excess income, then use that excess income to buy assets, not experiences. So don't go to don't go to Greece and pay ninety percent of the cash and ten percent of your credit card, which takes a year to pay off. You know, buy something that's going to put cash in your pocket, then use the cash that that asset generated to do your Greece trip and be able to pay, pay cash for it. So, an example for me, I realized you know after the fact is I've got a love of aviation. Well, I I bought an office building, rented it back to myself because I had to rent office space anyways, and then did a refinance on that three years later when the market changed and the values went way up. I bought a second office building and an airplane. So I could have just bought an airplane with payments up front, but instead I was able to get two office buildings 
you know, further leverage the the office buildings through a 1031 exchange into, into more rental properties. But what do you do with the money outside, having a plan for it? And for me, you know, when I got to a place where for me, it turned out to be single family home uh, investment real estate is what I really love, enjoy, got passionate about. And that started generating cash for me so that, you know, my my 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. day job was no longer required because I had this other cash flow coming in. So it's not about building up a big store of cash. It's not about spending everything you have, including money you haven't earned yet called debt. But, but you know, figuring out what assets you like. A shiny car out front might look like an asset, but it's going down in value and it's costing you money. It's, it's a liability. So figuring out what assets you love finding ways to get those assets outside of work and, and, and let those, my, I've got houses that work for me now so that I don't have to work as hard. And I think that's a, that's a real important thing that I was able to accomplish, um, which allowed, allowed me the freedom. So building a great leadership team to run the company without me, having investments on the outside, be, being able to build assets over time that, you know, was very fortunate, obviously with, you know, buying real estate was certainly great to do in 2017 and 18 compared to what, you know, based on what happened the last couple of years, but I still think, I still think invest in real estate. You can tell up front if it makes sense. Is is kind of where it's going. Yeah, awesome. And uh, and you kind of uh, just hearing you talk through that. I mean, you you just kn- knowing your heart and the way you've sort of lived your life and raised your kids. I mean, uh, there's a really good book, Millionaire Next Door, uh, as well. I I don't I don't know the author, but I remember uh, reading it. And you know, it's 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 not the path you think. You know, it's it's the top producing agents, the top producing loan officers that are out there driving the $1,200 a month lease, you know, Mercedes or, you know, where mm-hmm. I'm okay buying a four-year-old Mercedes, still super nice, bought it with cash. Um, so that's, uh, that's awesome. Tom, this has been really, really awesome. I appreciate your time and your heart. And uh, so I, I usually let the person that's on, like, how can they get in touch with Tom? Do not get in touch with Tom. He has nothing to sell you. He cannot <laughs> do a loan for you. Um, but I will say, you know, this... I'll interrupt you there, Lars. If you want to, if you want to find me on LinkedIn, I, that's where I'm, you know, I just actually just, I deleted Twitter off my phone because the, the dopamine hits for Twitter, I realized that they were the negative influence on me. So Twitter's not there anymore. Um, you know, Facebook, if you're not sending me pictures of flying airplanes, I don't want to see you on Facebook, but LinkedIn, it's a T-O-M-T-O-U-S. And I'm going to, I'm going to, as time goes, I'm going to post more stuff about what to do outside of work in terms of, you know, assets, building those assets up, creating those other streams of income. Uh, it's kind of where that's where it's going next is, is helping other people figure out how they can, you know, work your job. If you love it, make sure you love your job, but also you don't, you don't have to because you've got other things working for you. Awesome. I love that. And if you're, <laughs> you know, as, as this market is shifting, the only thing I'll, I'll sort of say, if you're listening and you, you've heard me say it before, um, I'm looking for agents that want to scale their real estate business to a million GCI and beyond in the shift storm that is coming. So this is the great recession years is when I got into real estate and it was hard and I figured it out and I made all the mistakes you could possibly make. And that's when I launched Real Estate Beat School in 2013. So go to getbusinessfoundations.com. I'm looking for the next case study. So go to getbusinessfoundations.com. Tom, I appreciate you. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, brother. Thanks for listening. Would you please take a minute to share the show with other team leaders who may be struggling? And if you love the podcast, please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to learn step-by-step how to build a profitable real estate team that allows you to get out of the real estate grind 
and live the lifestyle you've been dreaming about, visit us at joinrebs.com. That's joinrebs.com. Our coaching, training systems and support will help you get more high quality leads, increase your conversions and sales, improve your client experience, and allow you to scale your real estate business, all while reducing the amount of hours you work and the stress you endure. Just go to joinrebs.com for more info now. See you on the next episode.